0: Welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. On this episode of Anchored, Tom lays out a biblical case for the inerrancy of Scripture. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. The biblical arguments for inerrancy. First
1: of all, you have the claims of the Scripture about itself. In passages like Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5, and Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22, Moses reminds us that the mark of a true prophet with a true divine message is total truthfulness without the hint of error or falsehood. In fact, what does Moses say should cause you to disbelieve the claim of a prophet to be a prophet of God? What has to happen for you to say, that's not a true prophet? All that has to happen is for him to be wrong how many times? One time. One time. And he's not a true prophet. By the, by the statements and standards of the Scripture itself, in terms of the instruments of divine revelation, God says, if one statement of Scripture is wrong, then don't trust it. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 28. Samuel writes, Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words, plural, your words are truth. Notice, he doesn't even say are true. That would be an acceptable way to say it. But he says, your words, plural, are truth. Psalms 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord. Again, that, that plural. All of the words of the Lord are pure words. And here's what they're like as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. That's what the words of God are like. There is no alloy. There is nothing false. It is true. It's the real deal. It's the the absolute pure metal. Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Now, that is a remarkable verse, because notice that this is a claim for the truthfulness of every statement of Scripture, as well as the entirety of the Scripture. Together. You look at passages like 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul tells his young son in the faith, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because you need to accurately handle the Scripture. Why? Because it is the Word, and here we have the Word viewed as, as its totality, that the entirety of the Scripture. You need to accurately handle the Word of truth. One of the attributes of the Scripture is that it is truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, if all the Scripture is from the breath of God, remember, all Scripture is whew, the product of God's breath, then it must be without error. Ultimately, remember, the Scripture is not written by men. Yes, God used men but it is in its source god all scripture is breathed out is the product of the breath of god that means every word of scripture is a product of his breath so the scripture can only be wrong if god can be wrong and of course that's impossible the character of god won't allow it numbers 2319 god is not a man that he should lie God isn't like us. Hebrews 6.18 It is impossible for God to lie. What you have in this book is truth because it is the product of the breath of God. And as such, it represents His character. It has to be true. It has to be right. It has to be not a lie because it's impossible. Him to lie. By the way, in keeping with this argument of the claim of Scripture to itself, the Scripture not only claims to be truth, but the Scripture shows itself to be the truth by its inherent glory. The, all the confessions speak of this. I'm not going to go there because it's not really the subject of my message tonight, but I'm just finishing up. I have a few pages left in John Piper's most recent book. If you haven't read it, get it and read it. It's called a peculiar glory, how the Christian scriptures reveal their complete truthfulness. And essentially, it is the argument from the internal witness of the scripture. You open the scripture and God manifests his glory through what is said in the scripture so that there is an immediate connection to its truthfulness. You don't have to go through a series of arguments to get there, although there's nothing wrong with a series of arguments, but you don't have to go through them. You read the Scripture, and there is an inherent glory. So I I do encourage you to, to read that. It's not merely the statements of Scripture that affirms its truthfulness. It is the very nature of Scripture that affirms its truthfulness. But let's move on. Let's move on to a second biblical argument for inerrancy. Not only the claims of the Scripture about itself, but the statements of our Lord. Bishop Wordsworth put the argument like this in terms of the argument from what our Lord says. Listen to this. The New Testament canonizes the Old. The incarnate Word, that's Christ, the incarnate Word sets His seal on the written Word. The incarnate Word is God. Therefore, the inspiration of the Old Testament is authenticated by God Himself. That's that's absolutely right. Once we understand the deity of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ affirms the Old Testament as God's very Word, then God has affirmed His very Word. God in flesh. Jesus made this very clear. He exclusively used the Hebrew canon as Scripture. He he, he referred to it in the passage we started with tonight, the Law and the Prophets. That's shorthand for the Hebrew canon. The the books that we call the Old Testament, that's the 39 books that we have, different in in the time of the first century, but the same material. He rejected Jewish tradition. You remember in Mark 7, verse 9, he said, your tradition has undermined the Word of God He rejected the Apocrypha, although it was part of the Septuagint, a Bible which he frequently used. He never quotes once from the Apocrypha. And yet, think about this. Jesus quotes directly in his ministry, it's recorded in the Scripture. He quotes directly from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, many times from the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Zechariah, and Malachi. In addition, he refers by name to a number of Old Testament characters, including Adam, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Lot, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Naaman, Jonah, and Zacharias. And he refers to a number of Old Testament places and Old Testament institutions and Old Testament ceremonies. So many, I'm not going to take time to list them for you. In fact, one statement of Jesus, he encompasses the entire Old Testament in a Hebrew way of thinking. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, and look at verse 50. He says, the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. Now, now watch how he describes it. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem to be too profound in terms of the scripture, but it is Incredibly profound. You see, the Hebrew canon consisted of a threefold division the law, the prophets, and the writings. The story of Abel occurs in the early part of the first book of the Hebrew canon, in Genesis 4 8. The story of Zechariah that Jesus identifies here occurs at the end of the last book of the Hebrew canon, 2 Chronicles 24, 20-21. So in Luke eleven fifty one, 51, we learn that Jesus used and implicitly validates the Hebrew canon that existed at his time. He basically says, as we would say it, from Genesis to Malachi... He says from Abel to Zachariah and in the Hebrew canon that was the beginning and the end. The same content as we call the Old Testament but the books in our Old Testament follow the order of the Septuagint not the order of the Hebrew canon. Robert Leitner in a book that I will recommend to you later writes this the gospel records bear testimony to the fact that Christ quoted solely from the Scriptures, sometimes from the Septuagint or Greek translation. His canon of Scripture was identical with the Hebrew canon, and he declared himself in complete agreement with its bounds by referring to it as Law, Prophets, and Psalms. That's in in Luke 24, after the resurrection. He referred to that as the Scripture. Do you understand what this means for us who follow him? Jesus says, here, let me tell you what is the very word of God to you. Let me set the boundaries for you. It's Abel to Zachariah. It's Genesis to Malachi
0: in our way of thinking.
1: That's exactly what he said.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.